The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, I am fresh back home in California from being at the BEA, the Book Expo America, in New York City. I go there just about every year. Uh, fascinating, fascinating uh, experience. If, um, if you love books, if you are in the book world, um, I am the author of, uh, well, it will be four books, actually, as of this summer when my latest one is released. So I was there, uh, of course, um, interested in topics that relate to that, in you know, to the to the launching of my book. But I was also covering uh, things, interesting things at the BEA uh, to talk about on my show. And one of the most interesting people I met is the guest today. His name is George Newmeyer, and. Um, I met him, I think, on my yeah, on my on the first day of the of the BEA, when we were in the sitting in the press room and wondering where everybody else was. Um, and he has written a book called the um, the political pope. Let me get the whole title here. One second. Uh, the political pope: How Pope Francis is delighting the liberal left and abandoning conservatives. Now, before we get into that, which is, first of all, a delightfully, delightfully controversial book. I love things that are um, not politically correct, as I'm sure you all can tell if you've been listening to this show more than once. And um, it is a very, um, oh, it's, it's very, uh, well, I'm gonna, one of the things I'm going to ask George is, is about the reaction to the book and how uh, a lot of people... <laughs> I must think he's uh, the devil or something, but um, but it's really interesting. I was only I, I'm going to give you a couple of disclaimers. First of all, I was only able to read the first chapter because I just got back from the uh, from New York, and second of all, I'm Jewish and um, have and so, although some of my best friends are Catholic, I have a relatively limited knowledge of uh, the Pope and Catholicism. That, so I will let him be the expert on all that, but I will say this, that things that I read in this first chapter made things that I had been thinking about the Pope and what was going on very clear, like it all totally fit, um, that this is why the Pope has been saying things that he has, and this is what his attitude is, and this is why he looked so glum when he met with President Trump, <laughs> and all kinds of things like that. So um, it did make, did make sense to me. So, George, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Um, before we get into your book, do you have any comments you would like to make? How was the BEA for you? After I didn't see you after that first day. Yeah, I was. Um, I, I didn't go to all the events. Uh, I, I um, you know, it, it was kind of a mixed bag for me. You know, as you point out, the um, the press room was uh, was pretty much empty, and so a lot of things you would expect to be there weren't there, and uh, so in that way, it was kind of disappointing. But you know, I'm glad that we got a chance to meet, and I'm, I'm very grateful for you having me on the show. Well, you're very welcome. Yes, it certainly is uh, a much smaller show than than in the past. But I guess one could say that the people who are there, who were there, um, were much more passionate, I guess, about books and about uh, making sure that the written word, <laughs> the the uh, printed word, I should say, not just the uh, online word. Uh, lives on 
and apparently that actually is happening. There, there's less of a of a switch to uh, e-books than had been forecast, and that's good news because for yeah. me, there's nothing like holding a book in your hand. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that no, nobody's ever improved upon that technology. Yes, right. So, okay, so let's get to your book now. Uh, let me introduce you better than that we met in the press room at PEA. Uh, George is co-author of the national bestseller, No Higher Power, Obama's War on Religious Freedom. He's a contributing editor to and former executive editor of The American Spectator. He was op editor for Investors Business Daily and has written on politics and religion for many publications, including the Washington Times, the Daily Caller, National Review Online, Human Events, New Oxford Review, and The Guardian. He is the former editor of Catholic World Report and a former media fellow at Stanford's Hoover Institution. These are all very impressive credentials. So now now let's go get to your heresy. Before we get to, to your to you know what you've written about, I, I was really interested in. I mean, this you are um, you have really taken. I mean, I haven't read. I don't know anything about your first book about Obama, but I have a feeling that was probably equally, uh, or maybe not equally, but that was also somewhat controversial. But what was your? Um, I mean, this is uh, this is uh, really an amazing topic to tackle as a Catholic yourself. So what, could you talk a little bit about your own um, early life in Catholicism and, you know, what people would, what your teachers would say if they saw you now? <laughs> right, yeah, I, I understand that uh, concern because, yeah, it, on the surface it appears like I'm uh, hurting the Church, but in fact I'm doing this out of deep loyalty to the Church and to the Catholic faith and to the integrity of the Catholic faith. And I wrote this book uh, because I want want to, you know, strengthen the church and and inspire the cardinals to um, provide constructive criticism uh, to this pope, who, uh, as I argue in the book, is kind of like the Barack Obama of the Catholic Church. You know, Barack Obama said that he wanted to fundamentally transform America, and similarly, Pope Francis is trying to fundamentally transform the Catholic Church, and I believe that that would be terrible for the Catholic Church and terrible for the world because it would weaken the Church's presence uh, in terms of defending civilization and promoting sound morality universally. And so I, I felt the need to write a book that would expose the, uh, <clears throat> what I see as very um, dubious uh, intellectual influences on this pope and ideological influences, political influences. You know, as I point out in the first chapter, as you may have read, you know, he had a communist mentor, uh, just like Obama did. You know, Obama had Franklin Marshall Davis as his mentor. He was, Franklin Marshall Davis was a prominent communist, and uh, uh, Bergoglio had a similar mentor down in Argentina, uh, and, uh, a Paraguayan woman who was his boss at a laboratory that he worked at, and she introduced him to all this communist literature and, and uh and communist activism, and he's credited her with shaping his political education. And so it's very important to understand this Pope's ideological instincts. You have to understand that background. And so I wanted to provide that to people because the rest of the media was just fawning over Pope Francis. You know, everybody else, all the books so far that have been published about Pope Francis fall into the category of hagiography. So I wanted to write a book that would be candid and that would give people the truth. Yes. So... Okay, so so you did have a um, a very deep uh, religious and educational background in Catholicism. Yeah, I went to a Jesuit university, the University of San Francisco, and I studied philosophy and theology. I was a philosophy major. I spent my junior year at Blackfriars College at Oxford, uh, which is run by the Dominican Order. So I have a you know, a pretty good training in the Catholic intellectual tradition, and I understand the teachings of the Church, and I support them. And I see those teachings as being under attack by this Pope. And uh, there's a tendency, unfortunately, in the Catholic world to place papalatry, you know, the cult of a papal personality, above the integrity of the faith. And I think that's very dangerous, and that's, that is actually contrary to the Catholic tradition. You know, the, mm-hmm. the Pope is seen as the vicar of Christ, but he's not Christ himself. And because he's only the vicar of Christ and not Christ himself, he has to submit to the will of Christ just like every other Catholic. 
mm-hmm. and he can't just start using the church as his personal ideological hobby horse, which has been the tendency of this pontificate. He, he's been using the pontificate not to advance the actual teachings of the church, but to advance his own personal political opinions, all of which are fall on the left side of politics. Yes. Um, you, uh, there's a quote in um, your book, the more the Pope talks, the worse it gets. The church is becoming unrecognizable. And that was said by a Vatican official, I guess, who wanted to remain nameless, or... Right, yeah, yeah, he, uh, that person, yeah, it wouldn't give me, you know, wouldn't allow me to use his name, but he's a very well-connected person, and he was telling me that there's just complete chaos at the Vatican right now, that people are, are really frightened by the liberal direction that this Pope is pushing the church in, and it's, uh, they feel that the, the church is becoming um, entirely political, and losing its uh, connection to the Catholic tradition. And so in that sense, it's, it is becoming unrecognizable. It's becoming, it's almost becoming like another version of liberal Episcopalianism, you know, with a heavy emphasis and, or almost an exclusive emphasis on politics. And, you know, we've seen what that's done to the liberal Protestant uh, groups. It's, it's, it's decimated them. It's weakened. It, it's rendered them irrelevant. You know, they're, you go to their churches and they're empty. You know, New York City, as you, I think you told me that you grew up in New York City, but New York mm-hmm. City is, you know, the, the largest landowner in New York City is the Episcopalian Church. But if you go to their churches, all these properties they own, most of them are empty. And, and why is that? It's because they took religion out of religion. They took Christianity out of Christianity, and they devoted themselves instead to sort of temporal, this-worldly, left-wing politics. And that's not what people, that's not why people get up on Sunday morning to go to church. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they go to church for God. They don't go to church for left wing, the sort of left wing politics they could find on MSNBC. Mm-hmm. Now, did you um, uh, interview people uh, in churches, in Catholic churches? I mean, I know you mentioned in the first chapter about how people, um, how Catholics in churches, um, are not happy with the Pope. Did you do? In, did you set about to do interviews of them specifically? Yeah, I, I, I did talk to a lot of well-connected people within the church, many of whom could only speak to me off the record. But uh, you know, I talked to seminary professors and chancery officials, and but, and, but uh, I mean the people, just people in the pews. People. Oh yeah, I also to talked church. to I also talked to yeah, devout Catholics in the pews, and that's one of the untold stories that. You'll never hear from the media. The media tries to portray this pope as being the people's pontiff, that everybody in the pews just loves this pope, when the reality is that the people in the pews, as I've discovered, view this pope with great ambivalence, and in some cases they view him with anger. And the the people who really like this pope the most are not devout Catholics, but lapsed Catholics and uh, and Catholics who reject church teaching. They love this pope because he's pushing the church in a very modern uh, liberal direction. And uh, the media, of course, loves him because, and the political left loves him because he's a, a uh, propagandist for their favorite causes, you know, from yeah. open borders to climate change activism to abolishing, you know, not only death penalty, but lifetime imprisonment. You know, the Pope takes the position that murderers should not be in prison for life, which is a position so far to the left the Democrats don't even take it. You know, he's in favor of gun control and pacifism of all kinds and you know he always takes the side of the palestinians over the israelis or frequently does uh you know he he basically adopts all of the chic sort of left-wing causes that the media loves and the global left loves and that's why they treat him as the greatest pope ever Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well that's one thing I, i thought it was really interesting how you kind of set out in the first chapter the history of it uh in terms of how the communists said, let's see, where was How the communists had a plan to infiltrate the church, the Catholic Church, yeah, and then and how that got to um, South America. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, that's an important story and and another totally neglected story, which is that the liberation theology, quote unquote, that came out of Latin America in the uh, 20th century was. It didn't actually start with Catholics. It started with the KGB. The KGB wanted to basically take all these religious peasants in Latin America and turn them into America-hating communists. And they thought the best way to do that would be to inject Marxism into Catholic theology. 
and out of that came liberation theology. And there was a Romanian spymaster, whom I quote in the book, who says that he played, his agents played a role in a, in a very important uh, conference in Colombia in the 1968, um, at which the Latin American Catholic Church endorsed this Marxist-created uh, liberation theology. And uh, I don't know if you remember Bella Dodd, you know, she was with the American Communist Party, and in the 1950s she, she gave very important testimony to Congress in which she said that as a Communist uh, Party member she had helped infiltrate Catholic seminaries, and, and she claimed that 800 communists had uh, infiltrated Catholic seminaries and that some of them had risen to the rank of cardinal or bishop. And she, she said that, that we had at least three, three cardinals on the inside of the Vatican in the 50s. So uh, the reason I point all of this out is that you know Bergo, Pope Francis, Jorge Bergoglio, comes from Argentina, and the intellectual atmosphere that played a large role in forming his instincts was uh, the product of liberation theology. And it's important to understand that when you hear you know this pope stand up and say capitalism is the dung of the devil, and he you know he, one of his most favorite uh, famous tweets was. Inequality is the root of all evil. Now, you know, Karl Marx would believe that, but no pope previous to this one would believe that. And, and in fact, it's, it, that runs completely contrary to Catholic teaching because the Church has always taught that reality is hierarchical, that God is, that man is not equal to God. And it was out of uh, hatred of inequality that the devil rebelled. And that's why Saul Linsky, in his forward, the foreword to one of his books, uh, praises or, or gives an acknowledgement to Satan and says, you know, Satan was the first champion of the have-nots. He was the first champion of egalitarianism because he stood up to God. So, uh, you know, it's very troubling when the Pope makes these comments, mm-hmm. which sound like they come straight from Das Kapital. And, but the reason why he makes these comments, I would argue, is that he was largely shaped by the liberation, the atmosphere of liberation theology in Argentina. Yeah, that's so um that's so interesting, you know, that it goes so far back and how and and relates to um I mean first of all, just this idea to begin with that um commun- I mean how far have communists got I mean besides actually the pope <laughs> other than aside from the pope, how far did com- have communists gotten currently in terms of how many of the people either in the Vatican or in, in general, in high positions in the Catholic Church, how, how much now are, have they infiltrated? They dominate the Vatican, yeah. If, if you look down every corridor of the Vatican, you're going to see a communist of one stripe or another. Um, his, uh, the chairman of the Council of Cardinals is Cardinal Meridiaga from Honduras, who is an open socialist who's in cahoots with George Soros which the hmm. WikiLeaks disclosures proved. The, hmm. You know, when George Soros... Um, I don't know if you remember that when the you know those documents were released, it indicated that George Soros had sent lobbyists over to the Vatican to meet with the communists inside the Vatican and to confer with them on how the Pope could come to America and push socialism. Wow. And the person that they met with, their point person, was Cardinal Meridiaga, who's the chairman of the Council of Cardinals for the Pope. Hmm. And that is just one of countless examples of, of communists who are working at the Vatican. I would say the, the Vatican is just crawling with communists. Uh, you, you can look. Um, uh, another George, example just, is. I just need to stop you there because I don't know if you heard the music, but that means we need to oh, take okay. a break. Right. My guest is George Neumeyer, and his book um, is called "The Political Pope: How Pope Francis Is Delighting the Liberal Left and Abandoning Conservatives." And this is all pretty amazing stuff. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. 
She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking today with a very interesting guest, George Neumeyer, who is the author of a new book called The Political Pope, How Pope Francis is Delighting the Liberal Left and abandoning conservatives. And when you, you know, as George was talking about um, before we had to take a break, um, uh, communism, well, it began, let's see, when did, in the 19, when did you say, in the 1950s that they had this beginning brilliant idea to um, infiltrate the church? Which yeah, yeah, it, it goes back at least to the 1950s, maybe earlier, but at least the 1950s uh, under Khrushchev. And uh, this has been confirmed by people who worked for the KGB. And uh, so, yeah, as I argue in the book, that you know, Bergoglio's the election of Pope Francis did not happen in a in a historical vacuum. Uh, he is the culmination of decades of of left wing infiltration of the church, and in some cases, communist infiltration of the church. And I document that in the book that uh, a number of the cardinals who elected him uh, belonged to a secret mafia group called the Saint Gallen Group which would meet in Switzerland and plot. They were plotting to elect a very liberal pope, a socialist pope. And, um, and that happened. Uh, John Paul II you know, was an anti-communist, and uh, that he was elected was uh, kind of amazing because in many ways he was outnumbered by the socialists. But because the Soviet Union was such a menace at that time, uh, there were enough uh, cardinals to elect uh, John Paul II and then Benedict XVI came in, and he too was outnumbered by the liberals. And he was so demoralized by them, by their pressure, their leaking. Um, you know, they treated him like, like the U.S. media and the Democrats treat Donald Trump. <laughs> and he was so demoralized by that that he quit. And, uh, and then they, got, they, they saw their chance to put a socialist on the throne of St. Peter. And as I document in the book, a number of these people... They have they come out of the communist infiltration within the church, and uh, it goes all the way back to Vatican II at the very least, but even farther than that. But at Vatican II, there was a, a group that signed a document called the Pact of the Catacombs, in which they pledged themselves to uh, spreading socialism within the church and 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 w- through the world. And um, that uh, that group, while most of those members have died, the people that they uh, helped uh, turn into bishops. Many of those people still exist, and some of those people became cardinals, and they voted for Bergoglio. And uh, so that's how that's how the church has ended up with a pope who sounds more like Rachel Maddow than Pope John Paul II. <laughs> now, can you? Um, I was looking up a little bit about there isn't uh, about the pope's own uh, childhood and so on. His father came to um, Argentina from Italy. And uh, his mother was was born in Argentina, and it seemed like I mean, um, what was he living? What kind of what do you know about his childhood? How does that fit into all of this? Yeah, um, well, it, it's very significant in that he was exposed to the socialism of Juan Perón, and so uh, what he considers to be normal is socialism because that's that's what he grew up with. He grew up with the government dominating most industries. And running them and regulating them, and uh, so he he takes that as just the norm, and um, he has had very little experience with capitalism, and, and uh, of course, being from Argentina, you know, Argent, Argentines tend to be anti-American. I mean, they're they're taught uh, to be anti-American. You know, that's 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 in the sort of in the mother's milk, and has been since the days of Juan Perón, 
you know, they, they view the Yankees as being imperialistic and overly capitalistic and all that. And so that, that too explains why this Pope is so hostile to, um, to American capitalism and to Donald Trump and, and, uh, and why he's just such a knee-jerk socialist. So, but when he, was his family poor? Uh, they were middle class. They did a, uh, what I've learned was that, and this is not new to my book, but they apparently had, had money and then lost it. And then uh, I think they were at the very least middle class, maybe you know between lower middle class and middle class at the very least. And um, but everybody, you know, in Argentina, unless you're very rich, you know, you're going to be, you know, socialism tends to sort of equalize everybody in terms of deprivation, and so everybody kind of ends up being sort of lower middle class. Well, because I I was reading that he before he um, started studying to become. Uh, to become, um, to rise up in the Catholic Church, let's put it that way. Um, he had jobs like as a bouncer, and he had a job as a janitor. And, yeah. uh, I mean, you know, I would have thought that, I mean, I was trying to figure out whether maybe that made him feel, because these were very low-level jobs, and then he got sick with pneumonia and so on. I mean, he didn't seem to have a very bright future ahead of him at the, when he was around 21 at the time that he got pneumonia and he was doing all these low-end, going-nowhere jobs. Um, so, I, I don't know, I was trying to figure out maybe he, that is what caused him to believe more in socialism and communism and all that, that, um, that the people at the low end should <laughs> get handouts from the state. Uh, that could that could be a factor, but all I know is that he he did have these communist teachers and mentors, and uh, they had an impact on him. And he really was inclined towards political activism more than Catholic theology. And the perfect order to join, if that's your inclination, was the Jesuit order, because in the 1960s the Jesuits were moving very far to the left, and there was a communist infiltration of the Jesuit order as well. And so it makes makes perfect sense that he joined the Jesuit order, and uh, it makes perfect sense that the most liberal pope in the history of the church comes from Latin America and comes from the Jesuit order. I mean, the, the Jesuit order in the 1960s, you know, uh, became just aggressively liberal and, and hated the church, really, and, and, and saw the church as being, you know, this hidebound institution that desperately needed to be modernized and... There was a one Jesuit uh, I quote in the book named Cardinal. Um, uh, he's a Milanese, the Cardinal of Milan, uh, during, or he was the Cardinal of Milan. I'm blanking on his name at the moment, but he made the famous comment that, "Oh, you know, we think we Jesuits think the Church is 300 years behind the times." And hmm. uh, that individual was one of he too was a mentor of Bergoglio's, and that's pretty much what what uh, his name is Cardinal Martini actually, yeah, Carlo Martini. And I would say the pontificate of Jorge Bergoglio is the realization of Cardinal Martini's vision for a church that is completely in sync with modern liberalism and that is trying to, uh, you know, um, uh, marginalize Catholic orthodoxy as much as possible. Mm-hmm, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's one of the most bizarre things about this papacy is that, you know, it, it almost feels, to many Catholics in the pews, it almost feels like the church is under enemy occupation because the Pope is always attacking traditional Catholics. He's always calling Wait. them pharisaical and rigid and neurotic. And, you, I mean, there's a, uh, just countless insults that he has showered upon traditional Catholics. So it's almost like he loves every religion except his yeah. own. You know, he's a, an apologist for Islam. Uh, he's, yes, he what is, is all critical. that about? Like, I know he's spoken out about, um, this is one of the things that caught my attention, about how he was telling all of Europe, um, I mean, Italy is a country that has has had to absorb uh, or has been struggling with absorbing a lot of immigrants from uh, the Middle East, you know, and, and, um, and really... I mean, I've watched videos on the Internet of some really uh, devastating kinds of things, and he's been talking about how all the countries in Europe, and all the countries, period, should welcome all the immigrants, and um, he seemed to be totally blind to the risk of there being a Trojan horse or being, having amongst them those who are, want to be terrorists. That's right. Yeah, it, it's uncanny how he's he's turned into the biggest cheerleader for Christian Europe turning into Arabia. 
And uh, I document in the book how every time a Muslim commits an act of terrorism, he immediately uh, makes a, a comment indistinguishable from the sort of nonsense that you hear from CARE, you know, that, that uh, propaganda uh-huh. group for, for Islam. So it almost sounds like he, he sounds more like a spokesman for CARE than for the Catholic Church, because yes. the Church has always viewed Islam as, the, as its historic adversary. I mean, you know, Islam was formed in reaction to Catholicism, and, and it presented itself as a superior religion to Catholicism, and it sought to subjugate Catholicism. Yes, and it's killing. And, and here we've got, and, here we've got a pope uh, who's playing defense. And killing Catholics all over the globe. Yeah, yeah. At a time at a time when they're cutting off the heads of Catholic priests, that we have a Catholic pope who rushes to the microphones to say there is no such thing as Islamic terrorism, and yes. uh, and Islam is a religion of peace, and everybody should read the Quran. It's a wonderful book that that espouses you know nonviolence and. It's 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 really uh, frightening that you know it, it almost feels like Care has planted a uh, you know Manchurian candidate on the throne of St. Peter. I, I I I'm not presenting that as a fact or anything like that, but I'm just saying that it, when you, if you just look at his statements, they're no different than the sort of nonsense you hear from the spokesman for Care. Yes, yes, and you know of course the irony in that is that um, ISIS and al-Qaeda would like nothing better. I mean, he's their prize. Uh, he would be their prize beheading. Right, yeah. I mean, he meets... There's no nice way of putting this. Um, he meets Lenin's sort of technical definition of a useful idiot because he's shilling for the very people who want to kill him. Yeah. Yes, it's... Uh, it's... it's, it's I mean, not shocking given the history that you describe, but shocking still that that today that there aren't enough people to. Uh, I mean, it's like the emperor has no clothes. Now you were saying at the beginning about um, you know that you've written this because you love the Catholic Church and and you're trying to save it. Basically, have yeah. you um, have you somehow gotten your book to the Vatican to the cardinals or to? I mean, are you trying to? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, th- I think they're aware of it because some prominent, very prominent Italian journalists have talked about my book. Uh, Marco Tozzati, who's considered to be one of the deans of Catholic journalism, he writes for us or has written for for many years for La Stampa, which is a secular newspaper, and he wrote. Uh, you know, he endorsed the book and told his readers that it was an important book. And then I just saw that Il Giornale also wrote something and you know, said, uh, I think the, the man said, uh, do not miss this book. It will increase your immune defenses against this pope. Hmm. So if they're reading it, if these prominent Italian journalists have seen my book, then the Vatican has seen it. <laughs> you haven't heard from the pope himself, I take it. But yeah, I'm not, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm not, uh, you know, I, I think they, you know, the, the church's approach to a lot of this stuff is to ignore it. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, it's a smart approach, but Unfortunately, I think they they don't realize that they're sitting on the edge of a volcano because a lot of people in the pews are getting fed up with this nonsense. They they do not want their church to be turned into MSNBC. Yes, and you know some of the things. I mean, I know you mentioned some of the things that he uh, espouses, but like um, he talks, he sort of uh, apologizes for or or endorses um, uh, divorce and adultery and. Yeah. And um, birth control, I mean, not that I'm, and, uh, I don't know, what is his stance on abortion? Um, he, he's, you know, I, I wouldn't accuse him of being in favor of abortion rights, but he has made a pro-life statement sort of um, here and there, but it's not been a priority, and uh, he keeps his distance from the pro-lifers. He, he sees pro-lifers as being sort of embarrassing, and he keeps, uh, like, for example, the March for Life in Rome gets no coverage from Osservatore Romano, the Vatican newspaper, because this pope is embarrassed by these pro-lifers. He mm. opposes abortion, but it's almost like he opposes it on, on socialist grounds, that he, he sees abortion as being a product of sort of uh, Western consumerism and a, and a kind of everything-goes sort of capitalism in the West. So it's almost as if his critique is, is more economic than moral. Mm. But I, I cannot say that he's, you know, he's never endorsed abortion. So at least on that, you know, to the extent that he said the unborn child has a right to life, um, you know, that that's all to the good. But but it, 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 the Wall Street Journal pointed out that it took him six months to to make a pro life statement, and uh, 
and he's just he he tends to kind of give every other issue more emphasis than that one. Uh huh. Um. I mean, and what do you think about adultery? I mean, I, I should make it clear. I actually am for this. This is the one thing that I disagree with Trump on, and I was surprised that uh, that he actually carried this into once he became president. That he actually continued with um, being against abortion. I, as a psychiatrist, um, I mean, it would be better, obviously, if people used birth control and didn't have to have abortions. But I, I am. Um, I do believe that there are uh, good reasons to have abortions um, for in certain situations, but um, but there are some other things, you know. But the the endorsing adultery and endorsing, you know, some of these sexual kinds of things, I think are, are is would be. I mean, that seems to be getting to the heart, literally, <laughs> of some of the teachings that. Uh, I guess we're shocking people in the pews. Is that right? Oh yeah, yeah. At the synod on the family, he held a synod on the family, and instead of defending the family at it, he weakened. The, he, you know, he weakened the church's positions on the family. He, yeah, he he approved of Catholics in a state of adultery. He said that it's fine for them, you know, to go to communion, or at least he he certainly strongly hinted at that in a in a major footnote in the document that came out of the synod on the family. And then after the after the synod on the family, all these bishops came to to Bergoglio to Pope Francis, and they said, "Is it okay to give communion to people in a state of adultery?" And he said, "Yes, it is." Mm-hmm. So it's clear that he's on record supporting saying that those Catholics in a state of adultery are in a state of grace, which is a position never taken by a pope. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that at a time when the sexual revolution is sort of going into overdrive. Here we've got a pope who's instead of opposing it, almost seems like he's chasing after it, and it, it's it's uh, deeply dismaying to to conscientious Catholics. Um, you know, they they would expect a robust defense of Catholic morality at a time of in, you know in an age of moral relativism, mm-hmm. but that's not what they've gotten. And they've, what they've gotten is a pope who's going around saying things like, "Well, you know, life isn't black and white; it's shades of gray," and. Uh, and who am I to judge? That's his signature phrase. Who am I to judge? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if you take that, you know, if, if you take that seriously, you know, it, it makes people wonder. Well, why, why does the Catholic Church even exist? Right. You know, is, is the Catholic Church as as necessary to civilization as a gym membership or something? I mean, yeah, it might be good for you, but it's not necessary. You know, I, mm-hmm. so it, this is this is having a shattering effect, I think, on the morale. Of uh, people in the pews and priests, there are a lot of priests who have quietly said to me, written to me, or, or indicated to me that they're very happy that I wrote this book because mm-hmm. I'm saying what needs to be said and that they wish they could say, but they're not in a position to do so. Yes, I mean, you know, especially for people who have been um, trying to be good Catholics all their life and uh, of avoiding some of these temptations and so on, and then all of a sudden you get a pope who says, ah, <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, one of the most amazing moments of this pontificate was when the Pope stood up and said to the, all these Catholics who've assumed great burdens and having these large families, you know, some of the, some Catholics will have, you know, seven to ten children. Mm-hmm. And he said to them, uh, you know, he made a statement that Catholics should not breed like rabbits. And uh, that was crushing to these people because they have conscientiously observed the teachings of the Church at great expense and, and, and you know, and showing great sacrifice and heroism. Yeah. And showing a love of life, you know, showing sharing life with with all these children, and yeah. here he is telling them, likening them to rabbits. You know, yes, so yes, it's amazing. And it's very disturbing. Well, we need to take another break. Um, we're uh, talking. My my guest is George Newmeyer. His book is called The Political Pope: How Pope Francis is Delighting the Liberal Left and Abandoning Conservatives. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. 
Dr. Carroll is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. With a very interesting guest, George Neumeyer, with a very outrageous book, <laughs> controversial book, that um, is delightfully politically incorrect and needs to be said. It, it, I can see, you know, as we're talking more and more how uh, what you said at the beginning is true, that you wrote this out of love for the Catholic Church uh, to try to save it from the Pope. The book is called The Political Pope, How Pope Francis is Delighting the Liberal Left and Abandoning Conservatives. Now, one of the things that um, I, I think probably makes the whole situation a little tricky is that some of the things, um, you know, it, it must, it's hard, I guess, to, to separate out um, things that are good, just good, like maybe that the Catholic Church would see as good or ever anybody would see as good, humane and so on, um, from things that are communist or Marxist or socialist, you know, like, um, yeah. well, go ahead, I'll let you take it from there. You, you know, it's very tricky to make these fine distinctions between, um, between, between the love of humanity and being, wanting everybody right. to, to have a good life and then things that go too far to the left. Yeah, yeah, the, and I, I think, unfortunately, the... The Catholic left that this pope represents exploits that confusion, and they, um, it, you know, it puts me in mind of what Saint Thomas Aquinas said, which is that evil is always presented under the appearance of goodness, and mm-hmm. so socialism, which strips people of their freedom and impoverishes people, is always presented as social justice, but Catholic social justice, quote unquote, is socialism, and uh, it, it ends up hurting the very people. It purports to help, and so yeah, I would say that we what we've seen from this pontificate is that this pope is blurring, trying to blur the line between helping the poor, which everybody can agree is good, and advocating for bigger and bigger government in the name of the poor, which is often bad and hurts the very people it claims to be helping. And uh, so yeah, that, that you know, and, and the church has said, you know, the Catholic theologians have said over the over the centuries that. Uh, a heresy is really a half-truth that's exaggerated. It's a half-truth mm. that's exaggerated to the point where it becomes a serious error. And so a pope who's always talking about the poor, that's, that's good, but if that's exaggerated to the point where, it, in, where it, it becomes an endorsement for socialism, that's bad because that'll end up hurting the poor and it'll end up uh, you know, uh, weakening, weakening the foundations of freedom and free enterprise and all the things that make it possible for civilization to exist. And so that's unfortunately what we're witnessing is that we're witnessing a pope who's peddling sort of half-truths, you know, and he's taking things which are kind of true, and he's, he's emphasizing them so aggressively that they become serious errors. Yes. Um, I mean, and no one, like, well, is any, have, you, have you seen anybody else besides you um, saying that the emperor has no clothes? Well, you see that on the internet, you know, here and there, and some publication, but it's never been said in book form. You know, this mm-hmm. book is the first of its kind. Every other book has been tended to be pretty positive or neutral or, you know, just it hasn't engaged the subject in the direct way that I have. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, this is, a, I think, I hope that this is a historically unique and significant book and that it will... 
you know, allow the future, you know, future historians to look back and see what people were actually thinking about this pontificate. Because if you just rely upon the the sort of official Catholic press, you'd think that everything is fine, that the church is in a springtime, when in reality it's in a deep winter. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, this, this pope has said that, oh, I'm presiding over a field hospital. You know, well, if that's the case, a lot of his patients are dying. Because if you, if you look at the statistics, uh, the pews are empty. There's less and less sacramental use, particularly in America and Western Europe. The seminarian rate is, is uh, dropping. It's dropped for the last four years. Of, of, over the course of this pontificate, the seminarian rate has been dropping. And if you go back and look at Buenos Aires under the leadership of Jorge Bergoglio, the same was true. The pews weren't particularly filled. The seminarian rate was incredibly low. When he started as, as Archbishop of Buenos Aires, there were, I think, 50 seminarians. When he left, there were only 10. Uh, mm. Tons and tons of Catholics would leave the church for these, these evangelical groups, which were preaching a the Bible and preaching a sort of a stronger message than the uh, politically correct message uh, Bergoglio was offering people. So I, there's really no evidence. I mean, we hear the word pastoral in connection with this pope all the time, that, oh, he's a pastoral um, pope, but um, he's a shepherd without a flock. I mean, wh- wh- who is he leading exactly? I mean, he, he, I know the liberal media likes him and Democrats like him and the global left loves him. And people who hate the church love them. Celebrities, you know, I document all the celebrities who say, oh, this is the greatest pope ever. Uh, well, every last one of those celebrities is anti-Catholic. So mm-hmm. why do they like this pope? They like him because he dislikes Catholics for the same reasons that they do. They see them as judgmental. They see them as rigid. They see them as neurotic. And so mm-hmm. this pope is pandering to their prejudices, and uh, that's why he's so beloved. Well, you know, and, and as you were touching on... Um in these times where, you know, where every, every um, week there's a, uh, or more frequently, actually, you know, I do a, a podcast, the Terrorist Therapist podcast, and, um, and I, if, there's a, if there's a terror attack in the week before, you know, earlier in the week uh, when it's time to do the podcast, um, I'll do it on the attack and I analyze the attackers and so on. And... Um, and now I was this. I was just thinking um, this week there have been more attacks. I mean, there's well, there's the Manchester, of course, and then, then the one in London on London Bridge, and then there was one in Australia, and then there was one. I was just reading about another one this morning. I mean, so they're coming fast and furious, and this is a time when um, people are looking for more inspirational, spiritual, um, more deeply religious kinds of things to. Uh, to hold on to, um, to believe in God and believe that God will protect us and so on, um, and and not really the things that this Pope is talking about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's why a lot of the Catholics like from Europe that I quote in the book or feel so distressed is that they want a champion of Christian identity uh, and they're not getting it from this Pope. He's not strengthening Christian identity. He's weakening it, and he's become an apologist for a secularized, Islamicized Europe that provides people with no protection against what we've been seeing happening. And, um, you know, it's amazing. Like the, uh, you know, I don't know if you remember that incident where the French priest had his uh, yes. throat slit by those jihadists and the next yes. day, what, what does the Pope say? He says, Islamic terrorism doesn't exist. I don't believe that it exists. Mm. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't think it, it doesn't make any more sense to talk about that than it is to talk about Catholic terrorism. So, mm-hmm. you know, he, he, this is a pope who's just unwilling to grapple with the reality of Islamic terrorism. And that's the bottom line, and that is allowing Europe to turn into Eurabia. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what would you, uh, you know, I kind, of, <laughs> I kind of envision, this is what I see for you. <laughs> I think you should have um, whatever the delivery service is in Italy, you should have a delivery service. I kind of envision it as balloons or a, uh, oh, what do you call that? One of those, like, what's the, the blimp? <laughs> a blimp <laughs> passing over the Vatican and dropping down <laughs> your book, you know, yeah. in, in one book at a time in stream with, a, with chocolate on top <laughs> and with the names of each of the cardinals or each of the people who are there um, to make sure that they each read it. Right. Yeah. 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 
It would have been nice if uh, instead of uh, if Trump, when he received, uh, you know, the Pope gave him as a gift when Trump, during their meeting, he gave him the climate change encyclical. Laudato mm-hmm. Si is the name of it. And Trump, I can't even remember what Trump gave gave uh, the Pope, but it, it, <laughs> he given it, if he had given him the political Pope, uh, yes. <laughs> that might uh, might have done some good, actually, because yeah, I think he would benefit from the frank criticism in the book. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Maybe there's some way you can still <laughs> get that done. Well, we're kind of nearing the end of our time here, and um, this is really, I mean, I, I would like, I mean, this is getting really, now that I've gotten some understanding of this, it is really um, very, very worrisome, even uh, though I am not Catholic myself, I think that this is something that affects the whole world, uh, whether yeah. you're Catholic or not. And um, I remember when the Pope, I actually went um, some years ago, I went to, uh, around Christmas time, I went to the Vatican. I went to hear the, or was it Easter? So one of the holidays where he comes out, I think it was Christmas because it was freezing and raining, um, where he comes out on the balcony and gives a prayer. And uh, that was, I was so excited about the whole thing. And then that was, that was at the time when there weren't these kinds of, well, or at least they weren't as well known as, you know, what you're pointing out. But, um, but still, it was a very, I, I remember being very excited about the whole thing, and, and uh, even though it's not my religion. So it's really, I mean, that's the kind of excitement or, or um, spirituality that uh, people would like to feel no matter what religion they belong to, and it's really kind of sad that um, that this is what's happening. I mean, it's more than sad. It can, it's going to lead to devastating consequences. Yeah, that's. I argue in the book that this is bad. I think, in my view, bad for souls in the next world. Or I, I think you know he he's not. Insofar as he's teaching people that sin is okay, I think he's imperiling souls for the next world. But he's also damaging this world by, as you're saying, weakening one of the great sources of of civilization, which is the Catholic Church, and everybody benefits from that, even non-Catholics. They benefit from the Church being a bastion of freedom and and a a strong uh, opponent of the kind of secularism that is driving the religious into the shadows of society. So the more liberal the Church becomes, the the less protection everybody gets, uh, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And that's why why people saw John Paul II as a great pope, even if they were non-Catholic. They saw that he was protecting the freedom of everybody. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, after 9-11, there was a whole, it was written about a lot, how um, people were flocking back into houses of worship because of what we were talking about before, how people need to uh, believe in a God and believe that God will protect us and all of that. And um, if there or when there is going to be another 9-11 type event, um, I mean, there are are already uh, ongoing kinds of things, but I mean even a more catastrophic one. Um, You know, if if the houses of worship are kind of hollow, um, that's going to be a very sad state of affairs. Well, I hear the music. We need to stop. My guest is George Neumeyer. His book, again, is called The Political Pope, How Pope Francis is Delighting the Liberal Left and Abandoning Conservatives. Thank you so much, George. This is really fascinating and important material, and I hope it, uh, I wish you a lot of success. And thank, thank you, you all for listening. Thank You've you. been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.